The French call the first general policy speech of a prime minister before parliament the great oral exam. That expression taking a whole new layer of meaning when the PM is 34 years young. We'll ask how Gabriel Attal, youngest head of government in two centuries, weathered the traditional jeers and whistles from the opposition benches in a national assembly where the ruling centrists do not have a majority. And with farmers' tractors converging on the capital, How's he handling his first nationwide protest movement? The same protest by agriculture workers that have mushroomed across Europe, forcing Atal into hard bargaining with unions and industry reps ahead of an EU summit Thursday, where France will talk up ideas like sovereignty and a French agricultural exception. Speaking of sovereignty, Atal uh, talking up curbs on immigration. Better pay for those who work than those who don't. Effective enough, his uh, rhetoric in that speech to siphon votes from a surging far right. Today in the France 24 debate, Gabriel Attal's baptism of fire with us, George Kuzmanovich, leader of the République Souveraine Party. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Uh, columnist and political strategist Philippe Moreau-Chevrolet is with us as well. How hey. are you? Hello, François. Uh, Shaheen Valley, senior fellow at the DGAP, the German Council on Foreign Relations. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And uh, Charlotte uh, Manviel, co-chair of the UK branch of France's Green Party. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to see you. Your reactions on the hashtag F24 debate. Yeah, the first general policy speech of a prime minister before parliament, one of those time-honored traditions that uh, it doesn't move the dial much, but it does set a tone. It can't make a mandate. It can break it if the speech is bad. Atal talking up secularism, paying tribute to the armed forces, calling for more cops and uh, what he called a civic rearmament to battle juvenile delinquency, also making the middle classes his priority. The reason must be a French agricultural exception. I'm clear-minded about the piling up of norms and about decisions that come from above and sometimes come from who knows where. Yeah, the, the uh, new prime minister talking about a cultural, uh, like there's a cultural exception in France to protect and subsidize film and publishing, talking about an agricultural uh, exception. Uh, uh, and that was really at the, the heart of the speech. And, and that's the, the heart of, you could say, this uh, sovereignist tone uh, that, uh, that we heard. George Kuzmanovich, uh, your thoughts about the, the, the expression, the agri a French agricultural exception. Well, uh, I should be happy. That's what we want. But that's not, not what they're doing. And it was a big show, a fine show. Uh, he knows how to speak. He was uh, a speaker for a former government of uh, Mr. Macron. But yeah, he, was the, he was the government spokesperson. Yeah, the government mm -hmm. spokesperson for Mr. Castex, uh, who was prime minister. But the funny thing is that uh, it's like Macron's speech uh, two weeks ago. It's like they just won a general election and they're proposing a new policy for the country, which is funny because they're on, on top of the power since 10 years, uh, both. Uh, and so it's very bizarre, and especially for French agriculture. They're doing everything not to have a specific French agriculture. In the same time, he's giving this speech in uh, Brussels. They're signing a new um, uh, treaty with uh, Chile, of free, uh, free trade. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more uh, about that. because Yeah, but because it's funny, it's at the same time. We're gonna, it's we're opening more uh, 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 our market to production that is made 
on, on uh, uh, with the lower uh, social and lower environmental um, uh, con uh, constraints than the, for the French. Uh, um, agriculture. We're going to be checking in later with our with our Brussels correspondent because most notably we heard the French president today basically kill uh, a, a trade deal with South America on, on which is where agriculture was at the heart of it. Before we we dive into the to the to the crisis at hand for the for the government, which is the farmers, and and again on Monday night he had three hours of closed door discussions. Uh, there's more negotiations uh, set to happen between now and Thursday's EU summit. First off, Philippe Morchevolet, the tone of the new prime minister. He's energetic. Uh, he's quite professional about it. He's not uh, he's a serious guy. He appears to be serious. But he, he, on the negative side, he's very, very young. He sounds young and he doesn't have any political uh, uh, strengths. Uh, he doesn't have any uh, MPs on his side, doesn't have any past experience. So it's... Uh, it's a spokesperson being nominated at the rank of prime minister. It's a spokesperson that became a prime minister, but he's not a prime minister yet. It's, uh, it will take some time, I think. But he's not bad at it. But as a spokesperson, he was good, he's still good. As a prime minister, he's not there yet. Although he speaks a lot about himself, there were three parts in this speech. The first part was about crisis management, try to calm down the uh, farmers, try to, you know, uh, avoid the blocking, a blockage of Paris and uh, of food supplies, and to try to not have the Yellow Vest movement all over again. That's the number one priority. Uh, the second part of the speech was the, to win, uh, was uh, made in order to win the next European elections. So we have to seduce the older voters that are the core of Macron's electorate, and that's very much the follow-up of the presidential press conference. That's basically the same thing. Uh, yeah, he, he talked about he, he talked about things like civic rearmament. Yeah, that, what, that was the motto of. What, uh, what does that Macron. mean? It means that the old pe old people don't really mem remember that they were young ones, and they want the youth to be disciplined. As uh, you know, when we get older, François, we want the the youngest to be more in line. That's a strange thing. He's talking to the older <laughs> part. Do, do as we say, not as we do. Okay. And the third part was about himself. He said, "I." Uh, 144 times, which is kind of the double or triple uh, than is uh, compared to his predecessors. So he says hi a lot, I, because he needs to exist. He needs to assert himself. So uh, Shaheen Valley, he said some some right wing stuff, but he he also uh, said. Uh uh, how uh, convinced he was of being a European and uh, what a mistake Brexit was. And this is where he got some of his biggest applause, uh, talking up the fact that he is France's first openly homosexual uh, prime minister. Uh, so a, a lot happened in that more than one hour uh, that he spoke. No, you're right. He, he tried to paint a very pro-European uh, uh, policy, um, you know, in the footsteps of, of, of Macron's European ambition. Um, but that rubs uh, against uh, what he described when he talked about the agricultural policy, pretending that the agricultural policy was entirely driven and made up in Brussels as though France had not entirely shaped Europe's common agricultural policy and as though France was not the first beneficiary of that European agricultural policy. So there is a number of contradiction in this speech between a stance that wants to be very pro-European and at the same time a form of criticism 
uh, around Europe's agricultural policy that Europe, that France has been designing and benefiting from. <coughs> Gesundheit. Uh, he comes from uh, uh, the, uh, as it, uh, he defected from the Socialist Party to join uh, Emmanuel Macron when he first uh, launched his campaign back in 2016. But it was interesting to see how uh, he, there were shades in his speech of Nicolas Sarkozy. Sarkozy, who when he was running for president, went uh, for a pre-dawn campaign stop in 2007 uh, to Europe's largest wholesale market, Rangis. This is near Orly Airport, south of Paris. There he talked up uh, one of his big campaign things at the time, the France that uh, wakes up early. And you had the sense, uh, listening uh, to Gabriel Attal, uh, that there was the tribute for those who work hard. Yes, I mean, this is a line that's been, you know, the, the hallmark of, of the French right. And, and this government has clearly moved to the right. I mean, compared to... Um, 2017, when Macron tried to be uh, in the middle of the road between uh, the left and, and, and the right, there has been, there's been clearly a lurch uh, to the right, which has been both visible in the policies uh, undertaken by, by Macron and his successive governments uh, and the choice of, of personnel. It's, it's ironic that Gabriel Attal, who indeed, as you rightly pointed out, comes from the Socialist Party in the first place, is now probably the most right-wing prime minister that Macron uh, has had. But that reflects um, the fact that in order to, com to command a majority uh, in the Assemblée Nationale, uh, the government needs to move to the right, uh, and in fact to adopt in a number of cases, in particular on, on uh, immigration, for instance, uh, ideas and policies that not only belong to the right, but in fact belong to the far right. Charles Naviel, is that just a reflection of public opinion in France? Well, I mean, I think um, he's he's might be born in 1989, like he said. He's definitely not uh, ahead of his time, and we've definitely had some uh, flashbacks of uh, Sarkozy's policies, as you rightly mentioned. And um, and I think you can also see how he's treating um, young people. You know, he's talking about putting in place a state national um, service for young people. He's talking about um, how he wants to, for example, impose uniforms, which they're trialing and they might expand. It's a very backward way of uh, seeing um, our society. And there's also a lot of conservative discourse around sovereignty, around the nation. And he's very much um, using um, the language that President Macron used in his um, recent speech, talking about civic rearmament, um, like you mentioned. And you can see that he's very much declaring a war actually on poor people. He says he wants to um, stock inactivity, for example, for uh, unemployed people. Um, he's been very dismissive of uh, environmental norms, for example. So it seems like it's a very, um, it's a very conservative stance. And, um, and I think there's very little um, to hope for and to expect from um, the months to come with um, what he's telling us here. Uh, Georges Kuzmanovic, uh, is this a shift in policy, or is this this, uh, or or is this the same that this uh, government has had, well, ever since 2022? I think it will be the same. It's just a, it's just a, here. It's just a show, and they have to do something because uh, you have a, a big unrest among farmers, and uh, it's not so good among people working in the in the public uh, uh, hospitals. Um, uh, Teachers are not happy with the new 
minister they have. Uh, the situation is complicated, so he has to to make a good speech, but that's it. And perhaps undermining uh, Gabriel Attal a little bit uh, is his boss going abroad on a two-day state visit to Sweden, the French president in uh, the role the 1958 constitution imagined of a head of state who stays above the fray. But then he delves into the farmers' protests and at a press conference spells out his red lines, the ones he'll be taking uh, to the president of the European Commission when that EU summit takes place on Thursday. First, to have clear rules set up around imports from Ukraine because we have today, in terms of volume and quality, something that's destabilizing the European market, be it poultry or cereals. Second, we want more clarity on the negotiations with Mercosur. We ask that the deal that's currently on the table not be signed. And third, to have some flexibility, without getting too technical, with regards to fallow lands. And for more, let's go to Brussels and uh, correspondent uh, Dave Keating. Uh, Dave, uh, is, is, is all the, the, those three demands there, is that just going to be uh, uh, taken in stride? Or is he throwing down the gauntlet to the rest of the EU there? I'm not sure how seriously he means this, because I was told by an EU official today that there has been no request to put agriculture formally on the agenda on Thursday. What will happen is that President Macron will have a, a side conversation with Commission President von der Leyen about those issues he mentioned. But he would have been able to bring them up at a dinner that's taking place between EU uh, leaders tomorrow night here in Brussels. But as I understand it, he's not attending that dinner. He's going to still be in Sweden. Uh, that would be the place to bring this up if he was really serious about this. And, and backing out of Mercosur would be a pretty big move. So I think today in Brussels, people are not really sure what to make of this. They're also really not sure what to make of this uh, talk from Prime Minister Atal about the uh, agricultural exception in the same way that there's the cultural exception that's going to leave a lot of people outside France scratching their heads because, as was just mentioned before, a lot of people outside France see the Common Agricultural Policy, or PAC as it's known in France, as being a tailor-made vehicle for French protectionism. It's one-third of the EU budget. It is not a popular policy outside of France. And many people see it as a French policy made by French people for French people, for French farmers. So to be asking for an exception to that policy, which benefits France more than it benefits any other country, I think if Macron comes to Brussels asking for that, uh, he is not going to get a very enthusiastic response. As I say, the PAC uh, may, might be popular in France, but it is not popular in the rest of the EU. Yeah, and it's, uh, Dave, just to, uh, uh, if he brings up how much of a can of worms does he open when he starts talking about agriculture? Because a lot of what we're hearing from the French farmers is complaints about, yes, uh, being undermined by foreign competition, but sometimes that foreign competition is inside of the European Union. We had one farmer talking about Spanish cherries the other day. 
Yeah, and it's it's an open market. I mean, that's that's the design of the single market. The products should be able to compete with each other fairly. And if you start talking about exceptions and protectionism, that is against the principles of the EU single market. Uh, also, there was an opportunity to do these things in 2021. The CAP goes on six-year cycles. The next time to talk about revising the CAP isn't until 2027. Uh, so it's really not a time period where you could actually renegotiate a lot of those a lot of these things it should also be noted that the very very few green elements that were added to the CAP in 2021 most of those provisions or a lot it's a significant number of those provisions have been delayed uh, because of the effect of the Ukraine war for instance the set aside that he's talking about uh, the effects of that haven't really been felt uh, I think it's it's worth noting here that we're seeing these farmer protests across Europe in the Netherlands and Germany and Spain but in Germany the, the, the farmers aren't blaming the EU and the politicians aren't pointing the finger at Brussels either they're very much focused on that budget revision that's happening in Berlin at the moment. Um, so there does seem to be a little, tra little traditional Brussels bashing going on here by the government, or at least an attempt to deflect some of the farmers' anger toward Brussels so that they don't uh, receive the brunt of it themselves. Shine Valley, uh, many thanks, uh, Dave Keating, for that update from Brussels. Shine uh, Valley, your reaction, uh, can we just say that the, beyond just even France, it's the end of free trade deals as we know them. I mean, this isn't a big surprise, is it, when you hear Emmanuel Macron saying, don't sign the free trade deal with South America, Mercosur. This is not a big surprise in the sense that, you know, this was the direction of travel for, for a while in Europe. It is a big surprise to hear it from Macron because uh, he has been supporting the Mercosur agreement since he was elected in 2017. And he was actually considering those who were opposing these free trade agreements. As, uh, as being excessively conservative and, and worried about their consequences, both for the environment and for the agricultural sector. So it's, a, it's not a surprise, but it's a big turnaround and a big policy change for, uh, for Macron uh, himself. Uh, and I would second what, uh, what was said about the common agricultural policy. Not only does the policy is mostly French in design and benefiting mostly uh, French farmers, but also I would stress the fact that there is inbuilt flexibility inside the common agricultural policy that gives quite a lot of leeway to each individual member states to allocate the subsidies in the way it wants. And these flexibilities are not used by the French government. So the French government could decide, for instance, to cap the amount of support to large agribusiness farms and favor smaller farmers and it decides not to do that. The French government could decide to allocate specifically to young um, uh, farms uh, to create uh, new farms and it specifically doesn't do that. So there are lots of flexibilities that are um, uh, allowed that the French government has decided not to use in part because it benefits the largest farms that are um, you know, uh, backed by the and represented by the by the dominant uh, agricultural uh, union, the FNSEA. So I think you know this deflection uh, towards Brussels uh, is not only problematic because France has been so critical in designing the common agricultural policy, but it's also evading the domestic national responsibilities for creating a more environmentally friendly agricultural policy. George Kuzmanovich, this is this the this is something perhaps that's not framed enough in conversations here in France. 
The common agricultural policy does work for French farmers, big French farmers, not the little ones. And uh, the the big industry group there that you heard Shane uh, uh, name call there, the uh, call out there, the yeah. FNSCA, they're not working for the interests of the little guy, are they? Exactly. I completely agree with Mr. Shaheen Vali. What he said is very true, completely true. Uh, so what do right you do? What do you do to help 80, the small? Eighty percent of uh, the European money that's going to support uh, farmers is 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 taken by less than twenty percent of. Uh, so how do you help farmers. the small family farm? So, well, we have a lot of ideas, but what is what uh, what uh, Mr. Macron is doing is just talks. Like uh, Mr. Atal, he talks to calm the poor farmers that uh, are not receiving so much help. And because of the decisions of the French government, as Mr. Uh, Shaheen Vali said. So, uh, um, and I, 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 I do not see how, what they will do, because at the same time, once again, uh, Macron is with Olaf Scholz. Uh, um, he wants to cancel the veto right of uh, governments. This will be the talk of the European Council uh, the 1st of February. Uh, they want to do it because they want to, to uh, give support to Ukraine and uh, Mr. Uh, the, the yeah, that's the main item on the yeah. agenda, which is uh, yeah. helping but Ukraine. It's the same. If they remove the veto, they will, have, they will have no veto for uh, against Mercosur and uh, then, as Mr. Well, they can't remove said. the veto right. That's that. Yeah. that they, they, the, 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 the treaties don't allow that. Yeah. But they can go. They can go around Hungary. Is what but they can. Mr. Do. Macron doesn't want that. He, he wanted the Mercosur. Hmm. Uh, Charlotte Manviel, uh, what do you do to help the small French farmer? And what would you have liked to have heard Gabriel Attad announce? Yes, well, I think there's a lot to do to support um, the small French farmers. You know, we need to value um, their wages better. We need to reduce the margins of um, big supermarkets. You know, and we also need to revise some of these um, of these trade deals that are not protective of uh, French small farmers. It makes no sense, for example, for us to look at importing lamb from New Zealand, for example. So, you know, there's there's this device that's trying to be made in terms of, the, you know, environmentalists versus the farmers, but actually we're hand in hand wanting to defend a new model. Um, the FNSOA, which was mentioned earlier, which is the dominant um, union, actually, is very much, like you've said, defending um, the few but not the many and not the smaller smaller farmers there. Um, if you look, for example, at one mobilization that we've done jointly with other New Year's, like the Confédération Paysanne, for example, last year in saint soline against like a mega um, water reservoir, you know, um, that was only benefiting uh, 6% of, um, of agricultures, of, of farmers. So there needs to be a better use and a better um, a use of our natural resources, which are really scarce. We also need to look collectively at um, getting out of some pesticides because we know that actually that's detrimental to farmers. It's toxic to farmers, but also to consumers. And we need to support farmers to be able to transition on that journey. Um, and we, of course, need to look at revaluing their wages. And there's also a big role that the state can play because let's remember that the state is actually a big uh, consumer and buyer of uh, agricultural products. So if you look at, for example, in certain cities, in green cities, where we've looked at um, buying for, um, for schools, for example, looking at buying locally, buying organic. Um, so there's things that we need to do to support farmers to transition 
revalue their wages and also tackle this big these big agro industries which are the ones that are making most money and which are detrimental to smaller and more green way of farming uh, so Philippe Morochevrolet on uh, the um, French all news channels um, particularly the the more right-leaning ones uh, they've been saying oh uh, basically uh, these green policies are punishing the little guy. And uh, things like, as you just heard from Charlotte, getting rid of uh, uh, the pesticides. Uh, is this turned, is the conversation in France being framed as the farmers versus the environmentalists? Each debate we have is framed uh, from a conservative perspective nowadays. That's how it always ends. We always start with, you know, social concrete problems that could be solved both ways, left, right. We could find solutions in both, at the both ends of the spectrum. But the current mood is that it always ends up in a conservative worldview, always seen through conservative spectacles. So we are fighting against environmental regulations. But it's been, it's been said, and it, we need to say it, the Ecologist Party and all the environmental, environmental, environmental uh, least, environment, uh, people in favor of the environment, uh, they all are uh, on the side of the farmers. They are not against the farmers. I mean, we all have ultimately the same goal and the same problem. The, the main point has been made. There is a divide between the small farmers and the big farmers. And the big farmers are fighting for their own interests not for the interest of the small farmers. We're having that conversation here, but that's not the conversation I'm hearing in... In the country, the conversation is... In, I don't, in a lot the, of other the, places. What the small farmers say is that I don't have enough money to live from what I do. Right. That's the main concern they have. There is too much... We have, there are too much difficulties for yeah. us to make a living out of what we should be doing. Yeah. That's the main and concern. And their margins have been squeezed And the way COVID. we are framing it collectively is, oh, why? We should have less environmental regulations. But that's... That's indeed not a solution. That's only an electoral solution because there are elections to come in next June. Hmm. If we were more quiet collectively, we could address it differently. Marine Le Pen, the leader of the far right, cheering on the protest movement last Thursday. Sure. She visited a farm in her home constituency in the uh, Rust Belt portion of uh, northern France. Um, if agriculture in France goes under, our entire country goes under, because our country is a great agricultural power. And if it stops being one, then it is also our sovereignty and our food security which will start to bleed. We must therefore implement a major rescue plan. And there's that word again, sovereignty, uh, and Marine Le Pen using it. Uh, you just heard Charles Manviel saying this shouldn't be the environmentalists versus the farmers. And yet, when you listen to, the, when you watch the latest polls, uh, the far right's going up and the environmentalists are going down. Yeah, but uh, I agree with Mr. completely. Uh, the problem is that the, 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 the farmers are not paid for their work. That's it. Point. And, uh, and the margin are all, most of, most of the margins are taken and the benefits are taken by the agribusiness. That's it. And you have to know that the leader of the main union, FNSEA, is also the, the big boss of a big multinational um, agricultural agribusiness company called April. So environmental so regulations, what do you do when it comes to environmental regulations? Well, you, you have to have protectionism policies uh, if, if you have uh, products that are produced with 
um, in a way that is not uh, environmental correct, then you cannot sell it in a country where your own farmers can't produce it. So it's completely crazy because uh, you bring food that is cheaper and uh, your guys are producing food that is uh, not so cheap and, and they're not paid for it. It's crazy. That's why uh, uh, there is some insanity in, uh, uh, in if you look at the reality of what they're living and the real situation of produ produce that are bring from other countries. And once again, we are just but free trade agreements. After New but Zealand. free trade agreements don't just have agriculture in them. It means that uh, yes, you can export no. your uh, your airplanes. It means you can export. Yes, Germany uh, can export uh, their cars. So can but, France. Uh, uh, it's open bar for food. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. Look at what is what was signed with the, the free trade agreement with New Zealand and the one with, uh, that is just signed right now with Chile. It's it's a huge amount of food that is coming on the French or European market Sh without Sh taxes. So it's more pain for the small farmers. Shine Valley, you agree? <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And I would add that you know the solution we often hear that if we loosened. Uh, our environmental standards, uh, you know, things would be easier for farmers. Um, it is really problematic. Uh, you know, I come from a from a small island uh, in the Caribbeans um, that belongs to France, where there was a massive historical pesticide scandal called the Chlordecone, True. where essentially mm -hmm. the entire uh, banana uh, plantation were sprayed with a toxic pesticide, and now not only the whole soil is poisoned, we have the highest cancer rates in the country, and we have poisoned seawater that, you know, it, you know, prevents us from fishing. This is the sort of problem we have when we loosen environmental norms uh, and standards. So I don't think this is a solution. It's not a solution for the farmers who are the first die from illness from these pesticides, and it's not a solution for the consumer. So I, I think we have to really, and especially given France's history and the history of that, of, of these islands, we you know we owe it to our farmers and to our consumers to be extremely careful with our environmental with our environmental norms and standards, and not consider that loosening them would be a solution for anyone. What we should do, and which is what's something that 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 Spain has done, is to guarantee to uh, farmers that their products will not be sold at a loss and will not be sold below a minimum price. And I think we could fix a floor to prices, which would also, I think, lead to a different attitude and to a less productivist attitude, whereby, you know, what matters is not so much quantities, because in fact, we have no problem about food security in Europe. We have excess production, in part because we are producing too much of the wrong stuff. And so I think, you know, guaranteeing minimum prices for farmers would, I think, help them to shift to a more responsible agriculture. And we have to that, add to that that the banana example is very good because not only they have put all Crollodecon on, on Martinique, Guadeloupe, and it's a catastrophe, but the, the banana business is destroyed completely. We are importing bananas from uh, uh, Central America because also there they use the bad environmental product, but the, the work is cheaper. So anyway, bananas are cheaper here when they, when they come from, I don't know, Costa Rica or it's dull uh, before it was Chiquita it, it so they they are, they have they have taken poison in their blood plus their industry banana industry is completely destroyed 
protectionism we, we need to have rules we, if we want to have environmental standards they need to be enforced and uh, every great power in place in on the globe has protectionism in place i mean the us are not uh, accepting uh, anything uh, on the pretense that it, it's free market that's not true, true. that's a lie yeah. that's a lie one final question, because I know you have to leave us a little bit earlier. Sorry about uh, that. A new poll last week for the European Council on Foreign Relations think tank points to a right-wing populist surge for those June European elections that you were uh, referencing earlier. Uh, the identity and democracy voting bloc, that includes Marine Le Pen's national rally, Germany's AFD, nearly doubling in size and becoming the, the, the next EU parliament's third biggest force. That's the main threat. But what happens between now and June? What, what should the campaign be about? Uh, it's what Gabriel is trying to do, telling to the right-wing voters, don't vote for the uh, populist. We are the solution. We What's will, the message that will resonate? We will satisfy you on, the moral, on your moral uh, demands. We, will, we have the same moral standards that you have, guys. We don't have the same solutions. We won't go to that extremes. But, and we are more pragmatic. We are more competent. We are more... Uh, clever than these guys, so stick with us. Don't go there. That's, they try not to lose too much. The National Front, the populists, should win this election, but they want, we, they want to reduce the margin of the loss on the Macronist side. Yeah, a little more than 30% last time around. And we, maybe there will be a third guy. Rafael Glucksmann is raising fast. He's a, the only one able to capture... The socialist back yeah, candidate. To take uh, part of the Macronist vote, to the pro, take part of the pro-Macron votes. He can take part of, it, uh, part of them. The, 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 vote, the votes that are coming from the left could go with, with him and he could take some of the ecologist votes and maybe the socialist votes, and he could do something new. Maybe it could be the third guy, and maybe the second guy with a great campaign. Uh, it depends on what Gabriel Attal will be able to achieve. Gabriel Attal is there to block the Front National, the Rassemblement National. He's there to block the populist. Th thanks so much for being with us, Philippe Marchevalet. Sorry you have to leave our conversation earlier. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Charlotte Mainviel, uh, what's the recipe for uh, widening your base if you're running in those European elections? I mean, I think we definitely need to, um, to you know, to portray how um, environmental solutions are for the long term. Um, we've talked uh, just earlier now about um, pesticides. We've seen, for example, how um, Nestle, there's a recent investigation showing that they've been trying to filter water um, illegally to uh, counter some contaminations that have been happening. We've heard earlier the example of the chlordecone in Martinique in Guadeloupe and how that pesticide has meant that um, they have some of the highest rates. But, sorry to interrupt, Charlotte. Are these going to be your bread and butter issues for, to, 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 again, to try to uh, broaden your base for those June elections? What's the issue? Yeah. 
I think the the issues are around environmental and socialist and social justice and how they really go hand in hand. And you know how Macron has been talking about uh, demographic rearmament and the importance to um, have more children, etc. And we know how much that's linked to environmental, of course, in terms of impacting our fertility, but also bringing up children in a world that offers some hope. And um, if people aren't having children, there's also um, a reason around that because of, you know, the, the lack of uh, hope of bringing them in a world where, you know, they're going to be able to uh, breathe clean air, where they're going to be able to have access to social services. We've seen how our public health services, for example, are really impacted. Our educational um, services, I think investing in public services is something that a lot of people feel strongly about. And we're seeing how teachers are going to go on strike on Thursdays because France has one of the poorest remuneration rate for um, our teachers within the OECD. So I think investing in public services, offering um, social protections, and also in, in tackling the climate crisis, which is going to affect us all, is definitely going to be something that is going to be our priority for these upcoming European elections. Shane Valley in France and more broadly in Europe, but we heard a, a, a lot of things there from uh, from Charlotte. So which is it? Is it going to be about uh, protection, uh, public services? Is it going to be about protecting the borders? Is it going to be about sovereignty, as George has uh, talked about here? Uh, what's going to be the defining issue uh, of this uh, European elections campaign, not just I, I in think, France, but across yeah. the continent? I think, sadly, uh, a common thread and a common theme across Europe has been and remains the question of, of migration and Europe's identity. Uh, I, I don't think the European election should be fought on this uh, topic, but I think there will be. And what I find uh, concerning is that uh, liberals, uh, and, 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 and I include uh, this government uh, under that label, even though I probably should not, uh, don't have a clear articulated uh, message about uh, uh, Europe's migration challenge and Europe's identity. As we have, we have seen in France, uh, Macron's government has essentially caved in to a number of ideas of the far right when it comes to migration and has stopped presenting immigration uh, as an absolute necessity, not only for France, but for Europe more broadly, and a necessity that requires a different set of policies to welcome people from other countries uh, um, uh, in Europe uh, uh, much better. You know, it's very ironic. Well, that we, heard, we, heard uh, we heard the prime minister in his speech. We heard the prime minister in his speech talk about welcoming uh, fewer migrants, but welcoming them better. Well, yes, um, but in fact, we need a lot more migrants. We don't need you. We don't need less of them, and we all need to welcome them better. I think the idea that you know we should treat well Canadians or uh, or Americans that come to uh, you know build startups in Paris, and that we can afford to treat badly the cleaners and uh, and the housekeepers and those who uh, who uh, work in kitchen is an idea that's profoundly flawed because we need more. Um, of lower skilled workers than we need uh, startup workers in, in the country. I mean, the, the professions that are in acute need of workers at the moment are those that are lesser skilled. And these are the people that we need to treat better. And these are the people that we are not treating 
well and therefore that we are uh, 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 missing. So it's very ironic that we flag the, our demographic challenges, that we worry about our fertility rate and that we don't see that immigration is an important uh, part of the solution rather than a, a part of the problem. George Kuzmanovic, do you agree? Yeah, in fact, uh, it's strange because I think we agree on the diagnostic, but uh, um, in the contrary of, uh, for example, the Green uh, Party, we we don't think that Europe can this Europe can be changed from inside because that's they want and that's how they go to the election. That's that's a fraud. Uh, this Europe, as it is built, and um, it, it's a Europe that is built for the big business, for the agribusiness. And uh, the, the people, they don't have the voice in this Europe. It's, it has to be, uh, not, it's not only that we want to go out of this Europe, we want to destroy it and rebuild another organization that will be uh, more, uh, that will more respect the, uh, each state nations and each people. And this is not done by this Europe. We, you, you can do nothing within, uh, with, uh, with these uh, European treaties. So... First, that the first thing is to gain back sovereignty, sovereignty, not not only national, but the people sovereignty, which means democracy. Ch Charlotte Manviel, uh, you're sitting in London. They've left the European Union. Your thoughts? Oh well, we've seen how well that's gone, Brexit, right? I mean, it's been a, an an absolute disaster, and I think, uh, you know, we definitely have to. Um, the Green Party has a very much favorable favorable approach to the European Union and working collectively to address some of our some of our challenges. But I totally agree with what's been said earlier about migration. You know, it's a it's a, it's a strength to a lot of countries, particularly when we're looking at demographic issues. Um, but you know, also I think we need to adopt a more humane approach to this subject. There's talks about reforming medical aid for migrants, for example, and of course, from a human rights perspective, it doesn't make sense and it's cruel. But also from a public public health perspective, it makes no sense to try and restrict people's access to health. Um, so I think, um, you know, we really need to, to think about what are actually people's real priorities. There was a study during the presidential election that showed that migration was the second most talked about topic in the media during the French president, presidential election, when actually it was only the ninth subject of interest of uh, French people. It was a study by a radio channel, mm. France Culture, that showed that. And I think there's a disproportionate lens and focus, particularly on, 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 on the, the wrong issues. Charlotte Neville, unfortunately, on the we're, wrong issues, yes. we're, we're running short on time, but I want to thank you so much for joining us from London. I want to thank Shaheen Valley in Brussels, George Kuzmanovic. I want thank to you thank so you for being with us here in the France 24 debate.